What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband or a father? Uh, Frankly, most men don't know. Most men enter relationships in their youth uh, as a result of hormones. Most men enter marriage as a result of ideals and high expectations. Most men enter fatherhood as children themselves and end up being children raising children. So the family becomes a mess. The marriage is a mess. It's really, really a tragic state in a fallen world. It's hard uh, to even put it into words sometimes. As a pastoral counselor, I see it weekly. Uh, Various and and sundry uh, names and places and, and things that change, but there's a universal condition with a universal pattern. And one of the things that is important to understand is that you you really have to face adulthood as an adult. And in, in the fallen world, we aren't raised to be adults. We're pretty much left on our own. We may have parents. And some of us have idyllic family upbringings. And that is wonderful. I know there are those who do, and God bless them. But in a fallen world, nobody has perfect parents. And so to the degree that we suffer imperfect parenting, we suffer some degree of trauma. Now, as um, psychologist Winnicott pointed out, there is good enough parenting. On a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being perfect and 10 being evil, uh, one to four is good enough, meaning that you can come out of that parental uh, experience, that family system, and be a relatively functional adult. Still fallen, still in need of redemption, but a relatively functional adult. But even in that good enough situation, you're really not certain as to how to be a good spouse, a good father. Or a good, if you're a woman, of course, a good uh, mother, a good wife. I want to speak to you a little bit about what it means to be a man worthy of being a husband, worthy being a father, uh, worthy even being to be a friend. The, the tragic fact is most women spend their lives, married lives, married to uh, an adolescent at best, and sometimes just a pathetic little boy. Uh, it's It's... It's not cynical. It's just the sad, tragic fact of how things play out in a fallen world. And yet in the gospel, and this is the joy of my experience, the joy of my life, is to tell you that there's hope. There, there is a solution. And one of those solutions is set forth in this tiny little paragraph, if you will, in sec, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. So I'm just going to take a few minutes and address what it means to be a man worthy of having a wife and family, worthy of having friends, worthy of being in leadership, even either in your job or in the marketplace or in the church. At the end of this first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says this, in chapter 16, let me see here, I want to make sure. Yeah, chapter 16, 
verses 13 and 14, which can be uh, separated out just as a, a short little paragraph, a sermon in a nutshell. Quote, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. End quote. Do you want to hear that again? I do. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So what does it mean to be a man? Well, biblically, it means that, first of all, that you're watchful, that you're not naive, that you're not um, inebriated by the culture. You're not oblivious to reality. Rather, you're watchful. You're not shut down from the neck down. You can have feelings. You can have thoughts. You can express those well that people know where you stand. You're watchful. Uh, a good verse for that is re referenced at Matthew 24, 42. Let me turn there real quick. Matthew 24, 42, which reads, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So, a real man, biblically, is a man who's awake, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Somebody who isn't oblivious. Frankly, someone who's not a dimwit. Somebody that his wife and children and friends, neighbors, and others in the church can look to to be a man who has some sense of what's going on in the world, what's going on around him, and what to do about it. Jesus says these words in Matthew 24, 42, at the end of his prophecy about the end times. And so he says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And then he says this in verse 43, But, but, she, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think he will. So the first thing a man does is he's watchful, he's mindful, he's thoughtful, he's awake. He knows that the Lord's return is near, and he keeps himself and his family prepared for that. The second thing he does is he stands firm in the faith. He stands firm in the faith. That's very much a consequence of being watchful, being awake. Now, there's many references to that. 1 Corinthians 15.1 would be one. Let's look at a few of those, just a few. 1 Corinthians 15.1. Uh, let's see. Paul says this, Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed is good news to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I proclaimed to you as good news, unless you believed 
for nothing. End quote. Isn't that wonderful? Paul preached the good news. The reason he emphasizes that is because there were alternative gospels circling around even during the days of the apostles. And those gospels were not good news. A lot of people opposed Paul in his preaching because they did not because it was too hard, but because it wasn't hard enough. They opposed Paul's preaching because it was uh, dependent upon the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord, period. They wanted a gospel in which God enabled them to save themselves. That was the gospel to them. But to Paul, there was no good news in that. What good news is there if God just helps you save yourself? I have proven personally that I can't save myself, even with God's help. I tried, believe me, and it didn't work out well. No, the gospel I needed, the gospel you need, is a gospel of good news. And Paul says twice here, He proclaimed to you as good news. And it's a good news that we are to hold and stand, stand firm with. So, we want to make sure that, we, that as men, and you ladies who are listening, God bless you, I want to encourage you to raise your standard as what a man would be in your life. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. You want a man who's going to stand firm in the faith, as I just read. Stand firm, not in just any old gospel, any old opinion, any old religious concept, any old religious philosophy. But no, stand firm in the good news of the apostolic gospel. Listen, there's only one gospel, and a real man knows that. He's not out trying to keep everybody happy. He's not out trying to figure out which denomination has the most truth. He's not out trying to figure out what confession or which creed he should follow. Instead, he's on his knees, he's opening the scripture, and he's praying for mercy, that God, by his Holy Spirit, will illuminate his mind so that he can see, and the mind being the intellect, uh, the intellect being the gateway to the heart, he will be able to lead his wife and family into the truth and then stand firm in the faith. And then he says this, act like men. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Now, what is the reverse implication to that? Acting like little boys. Acting like adolescents. Acting like pathetic little boys. Wounded little boys. Which, you know, if you are a wounded kid, if you if you were wounded as a kid, if you suffered horrible or severe trauma then you should get some good Christian counseling. You should get some good psychotherapy. You should get some help. Uh, There's nothing shameful about having suffered as a child. You were a victim. If you are uh, an adapted adolescent as a result of that, and you're 40 years old and you're still acting like a 17-year-old, you need help. You You need counseling. You need pastoral care. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that there's very little pastoral care that knows how to handle those situations. But it is available. It is there. And Paul is telling us there to act like men. And again, the reverse implication of that is to stop acting like little boys. Stop acting like um, uh, out-of-control teenagers. (laughs) I'm not even sure how to phrase it sometimes politely. (laughs) 
We've all known monster boys. We've all known these cocky adolescents, arrogant young men. There are some men, young men, in their what we call the cage stage. That's when they first begin to discover the- theology. They begin to discover doctrine, and they become intolerable in their first few years because they're so right that they're wrong. <laughs> they go around beating everybody up with their confessions and their creeds and their Bible understanding. Uh, they're so right they're intolerable. They have not yet to learn to be the next thing here, and that is to be strong doesn't mean that you are harsh. Act like men. Be strong. That does nothing to do with being harsh. Has nothing to do with being rigid. Has nothing to do with being mean. To be strong as a man is to be strong. To not be wavering back and forth. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the, the benefit of good pastoral care in teaching and equipping is that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the cunning scheming of men. So we stand strong. We be strong. So we're watchful. We stand firm in the faith. We act like men. And then we be strong. But it's a strength that protects women and children. Not a strength that abuses them or exploits them. A truly strong man is a, is a man who will elicit trust. A woman can trust him. A child can trust him. A truly strong man is a man who will weep and share his grief as well as his joy. A truly strong man is a man who trusts in the Lord. And then lastly, let all that you be done, do done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Do you know in Ephesians, when it talks about husbands and wives and their relationships to each other, it is the husband that is to love the wife, and the wife is to respect the husband. In other words, in the home, the man is responsible for the level of love, for the amount of love in the home. And the wife is responsible for the level of respect in the home. In American culture, we sometimes think it's just the opposite, don't we? We often think that it's, it's the man who's, who demands respect. The man who sits at the front of the table and looks over his family and says, Respect me. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that the man is responsible for the level of love. The love that's in the home. And... That is true love, genuine love, God's love, godly love. It's not just sentimentality. It's just not codependent um, silliness. It's genuine love. Love that women and children can depend upon. Let all, all that you do be done in love. What a powerful thing. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Pursue love. Love is something we pursue. Love just doesn't happen. It's something we are deliberate about. We choose to love. And love is always a choice, by the way. We are obligated to love, but it's always a choice. We place ourselves under obligation. Obligation to the gospel. 
obligation to share the, the gospel, obligation to stand firm in the gospel, and obligation to love. But even then, it's a choice. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, he says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, but especially that you may prophesy. The point there is that love gives credibility to everything. Spiritual gifts, even prophecy, mean nothing without love. We can see the word prophesy here in the form of uh, speaking the word of God. It doesn't have to be prophecy in the uh, common thought that it's about the future, or that it's Old Testament prophecy even, or a prophecy yet, in, yet we're waiting for it yet to be fulfilled. Now, prophecy can be as simple as saying, I'm going to share the word of God with you. I'm going to exercise a spiritual gift of teaching, which every father has a responsibility to do in his home. Every husband has a responsibility to do with his wife. But before that, he must pursue love. So there's just a brief little encouragement, brief little exhortation as to what a man is. I can tell you from Scripture what a woman ought to be. I am not as skilled or as experienced clearly as to what it means experientially to be a woman. I'm not a woman. My wife could do that. But I have been aware in my own life that it's important for me to be a, a man that's worthy of a wife, that's worthy of a husband, of a, to be a husband, a man who's worthy of being a father, to have children, a man who's worthy of friends. A man has to understand that no one owes you anything. No woman, if you're single, if you're a single man, no woman owes you marriage. <laughs> no one is obligated to marry you. And while children are dependent upon you, quite frankly, they're not obligated to respect you if you're not worthy of respect. You can't demand respect. You earn it. You are someone worthy of respect. You can command obedience, especially when it's in the children best interest. But you know what I mean. It's better to be followed than to walk around pushing people. So what does it mean to be a man? It means that a man is watchful. He stands firm in the faith. He acts like a man, not a boy. He's strong, but he's not harsh. And all that he does, he does in love. You see, the Bible has the answers for relationships. The world doesn't. Psychology doesn't. Philosophy doesn't. And you're not going to find healthy, loving relationships in a fallen world. That is just a fact. A sober, tragic fact. But in the gospel, we have been given the power to have loving, healthy relationships. And the what I've just shared with you is one perspective, one perspective of what it means to be a man worthy to be called a husband and a father. Amen.